Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I don't think I do. I don't want to. 
You know, but this censorship and denial of access in Europe is really terrible. It's a uh, it's communists, Jews, and leftists who are doing it. It's not people on the right, nor any national socialists or nationalists who do do things like this. Even, even against, I don't think we do things against uh, left wing, left sides. Because I suppose it wouldn't do any good. Because the people in control are all in sympathy with the communists, Jews, and leftists. So uh, you should know that my websites are available and are not dangerous. So always look for the way to get into it, no matter what the warning might say. We're probably going to have more and more of these warnings uh, getting in the way of people feeling comfortable going to the site unless they're really in the know. So, but this a person in Scandinavia said that he saw it in two different countries when he tried to access my site, and the one country the next time he didn't see it there, so it didn't come up. So. Maybe they don't keep them. I don't know. I'll have to just keep checking on this, this kind of thing. It's just one thing after another that gets in your way. Well, another interesting tidbit is that, uh, this one is much more pleasant for me, that I told uh, our last radio, uh, I told Ray Goodwin uh, on our last tabletop program, that I thought I had, that if I had been born male, I would have been a warrior type. Well, I've, all, I've often thought that. Well, then I received an email just a couple days ago from Christine Miller. Remember Christine, that wonderful lady from Wisconsin? In reply to my asking her what she knew about the area in Baden of my ancestry. Well, in, uh, in what I wrote to her, I mentioned Breton, the administrative center of Bauerbach, where I know that my maternal grandmother's, probably her grandfather, emigrated to Hungary from there and left family there, some family stayed there, and that the family name was Reck, R-E-C-K. It turns out, I thought she was from, maybe from around there, but it turns out that she is from Munchenhausen in western Bavaria, not that not all that close to my area, but her father did live in Forstein after the war, and she spent a summer there. And she wrote, she's written some things about it. And Forstein is right there, uh, close, very close to uh, Breton and Bauerbach. Well, anyway, when she wrote back to me, she told me I have been a uh, number of times through Britain, but do not remember anything of this small town. By the way, the name Reck is derived from Reckon, which means R-E-C-K-E-N, which means warrior, hero. Many farmers from that area immigrated to Hungary and Russia. These farmers were looking for land and made the land on which they settled bloom. But after the war, most of these farmers were kicked out. That is all I know. And that was what she wrote to me. Well, that made me uh, happy. And I looked up the word reckon. The definitions for reckon are paladin, knight, hero, warrior, fighter, defender. Oh, wow, how beautiful is that? And a full definition for paladin, paladin is the first word used, is one, there's three of them. One, a paragon of chivalry, 
a heroic champion. Two, a strong supporter or defender of a cause. Three, any of the twelve peers of Charlemagne's court. And in the Urban Dictionary, it says the paladin is a class of warrior that is fully devoted to kindness and ridding the universe of evil. They are very religious and have an extremely strict honor code, as well as a soft spot for children and animals. In combat, a paladin with a cause is almost impossible to defeat. A paladin with a cause is almost impossible to defeat. Well, that was very uplifting. And, uh, and, and at the same time, this speech by Heinrich Himmler that has been translated by a show blogger and that I am working on a commentary for, just going rather slowly though because I keep doing other things instead of that. So before I post it at my website, this, in this speech of Heinrich Himmler, he used the word paladin, and this is the speech from August 1944 to the Gaulagers, and the very last sentence of this is, I quote, Adolf Hitler was the greatest Aryan, not only the greatest Germanic leader, and they will say about us, his henchmen, his paladins were faithful, obedient, and steadfast. They were worthy to be his comrades, to be his paladins. Well, I have to say, that almost gives me, gives me chills and, and uh, probably could uh, even bring a tear in my eye if I was in the right mood for it. So all of this came together now, you know, just very recently in, in this past week. So I thought I would tell you about it because it makes me feel good. Okay, and now uh, let's move on to tonight's show. Uh, the title of tonight's show is Greek and Russian Disconnect from Reality. Now I know some people will uh, disagree with that, but I like to go out with a strong, come out with a strong statement. And, and I think there's, uh, I certainly have a basis for this. Now, where, where I will first, I'm going to first talk about Greece and then go into that uh, Russian uh, forum meeting that took place yesterday. But let's talk about Greece. The thing I want to point out is that Greece is the home of 10 million people. I'm comparing here Greece and Germany. Germany in comparison, has 80 million people, so that's that's eight times a lar an eight times larger country. Pretty, uh, pr pretty makes a pretty big difference between Germany and Greece. And in the same in the same spirit, there, the GDP or the economic output of Greece is 267 billion. That was estimated in 2013 and the GDP of Germany is 3.2 trillion as the same year estimated in 2013 so you know since a, a, tri a trillion is 1,000 billion that makes it uh, that if 267 billion you'd have to add uh, uh, over 700 billion to get to 1 trillion and then Germany has 3 tr trillions actually over 3 trillion so the, a huge difference there 
And there's no equivalence, therefore, between Greece and Germany. They're not on the same level. They're not in the same league at all. And therefore, what, uh, what I want to start out with is that I don't approve of Merkel meeting privately with Alex, Alexis Tsipras, the new prime minister of Greece, in, in this way that, that she's doing. I understand why she's doing it. Because he demands it or kind of begs for it or, you know, insists on it. And she doesn't want to appear as cold or uh, unwilling to listen or unfriendly. Because, and that is only a result of accepting the anti-Nazi propaganda that's been propagated all these years. Other, other national leaders wouldn't, be, wouldn't feel that they have to show these kinds of uh, kindnesses and going the extra mile for someone like him, but uh, she, she does. And all those German politicians, for the most part, uh, have that problem. But in my opinion, Tsipras wants to do this, wants to have these private meetings and special attention from Germany in order to position himself and Greece as equals to Germany in Europe. But this is not the case in reality, as you can see from the above statistics I just gave you even. But we find that in his manner of speaking and in some others' manner of speaking, they keep equating Greece to Germany as partners and as they should be partners to determine how to make a better Europe. As though Greece is in that category that it should be taken uh, equally seriously in what it thinks about a, b a better Europe, you see. Now I'm going to go through some of what the news media does because the news media is still, in my opinion, uh, in some cases here it's getting a little better, but in my opinion it, it still puts down, you can find it, you can always find it, it puts down Germany and uh, attempts to remind Germans of their crimes, which can never be wiped out, it has the attitude that Germany must give more than others do, must do more than others do, and likes to remind us that Germany is rich while some of these others are poor. But you know, no one was poorer than Germany in 1918 and in 1945, right? But that's totally forgotten, as though in Germany didn't make itself poor. But these countries that are poor today, they're responsible in large part for their, in, in the, the largest part, for their own uh, difficulties, but they don't want to take responsibility for that. That's, that's why they're poor, because they, they're people who don't take responsibility for the situation that they're in, for the most part. This uh, news is fast developing. And there is a meeting today, this, it is today, between uh, Cyprus and Merkel in Berlin. He's just going to present the problems. But ahead of time, we know that the problem he's going to present is that, they, is that Greece is not going to be able to pay off its, what it needs to pay as, you know, in it, in its, what it needs to uh, keep up with in its payments to its creditors in order to have some more money released to it. And because it can't do that and pay for its salaries and pay for its uh, 
social programs and doesn't want to uh, end. And it's it's presenting itself as that these this is a humanitarian situation and they need to the humanitarian outweighs the bank the banks the banking so it, you know it's presented as though it's an anti people thing and that uh, Germany has it in, it in its power I guess to change that and let uh, give them a break and give them some money to tie them over and do these various things this is what he's going to be saying he's going to be saying we want to do this we want to keep up with our commitments but it's impossible and in, in a sense it's not our fault that it's impossible it's the fault of this program that has that's a failure and uh, so we're gonna, uh, that, that's what's going to come about and Miracle has already said that she's uh, that she can't make a decision like that that's up to the Euro group and so on and that she's just there to talk with him uh, she's just willing to talk with him so that's probably how that will end up but I'm going to start out by reading by reading a recent article from yesterday to just give an example, the first example of how the media handles this. And then I'm going to go to the Spiegel cover, magazine cover that I put as an image for this program and uh, do some discussion of that. But I'm going to start out with this. And this is titled, Greek PM Faces Miracle in Berlin as Debt Fears Mount, you know. And it reads, it's from the AFP, The leaders of Greece and Germany meet Monday in Berlin with the radical left government in Athens, warning it would be impossible to service its crushing debt without fresh EU cash. After a weeks-long war of words between Europe's paymaster, and ailing Athens, Angela Merkel, 60, will welcome 40-year-old Greek Prime Minister Alexis Tsipras on his first official visit to Berlin with military honors in her imposing glass and steel chancellery. Yes, somewhere else it says that he's going to be received in the chancellery with full military honors. I think that's... Mm. Uh, but I suppose that th that is being done so that they can't Berlin is very sensitive to these criticisms about it based on you know Nazi kind of imagery and so so that it can't be said that they didn't respect him properly or have this superior attitude or whatever they're they're going all out to give him every every uh, sign of type of respect possible which he doesn't deserve he doesn't deserve it, and I'll get into that later. But anyway, he's getting it. After weeks-long war... No, I already read that. Okay, Merkel's spokesman, Stefan Siebert, said they would not negotiate on a settlement for Greece's debt emergency, for Greece's debt emergency, as this was not a bilateral issue, but one for the Eurozone as a whole. Rather, the meeting is intended to reestablish trust after a corrosive exchange of recriminations that have left Berlin and Athens resentful and wary. German Foreign Minister Frank-Walter Steinmeier said after talks with his Greek counterpart late Sunday that both countries should focus on their shared goal of keeping Greece in the 19-member Eurozone. We, and the Steinmeier said... 
We must not allow the doubtlessly weighty and difficult issues that we in Europe need to resolve together to erode the strong foundation of German-Greek relations, he said after meeting Nikos Kotsias. What strong German-Greek relations, I'd like to know. Um, the first thing that Cyprus did after the ele- he won the election, or his party won the election with the plurality, he went to that field in outside of Athens where the uh, resistance fighters against the German troops were, uh, were killed, were executed, I should say, were executed, and they have a, a memorial there. And these were what we would call today terrorists. That's, that was what their behavior was because the Greeks had surrendered, the Germans had taken control, were occupying the country, and these people were fighting against them, trying to kill them, and doing a lot of sabotage and so on. And these were communists. They, was, you know, they were communists and supporting the Soviet Union, and they were uh, arrested and the ones who were were executed, and this is considered now, you know, to be some kind of a horrible war crime of the Nazis. And they have a memorial there, and he laid uh, Cyprus laid flowers, some red roses on that memorial. That 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 was right there was the act that set the tone right at the very beginning of what they were, how they were going to deal with this, with their financial crisis. They were going to appeal to the Greeks' victimization by the Germans and thinking in terms of uh, reparations and so on. So going back to the article, but underlying the high stakes, Cyprus warned Merkel in a letter that without EU help, Athens would have to choose between paying off loans and maintaining crucial social spending. Greek government spokesman Gabriel Sacalaridis confirmed a Financial Times report about the missive dated March 15th. He said, this is not a threat, it is reality. And he sent a similar letter to French President Francois Hollande and European Commissioner Jean-Claude Juncker. The letter said nothing, now he goes on, the letter said nothing less and nothing more than what we have said since last week, that liquidity is tight and that political initiatives must be taken. Well, let's remember here that uh, it's been uh, several months since they came into power, the, uh, this government in Greece, and they have done nothing about, about taking care of what they, what they know they have to do in order to keep up with this, uh, getting this EU money. Well, uh, but now they're finally, now that they're up to the last few weeks to go, they're now saying that, that they, have, they can't pay their, they can't support their country and pay this at the same time. So they need liquidity. They need some help here, uh, which is, has been against the rules all along, and they've known it. So, you know, they're playing a game. They're betting on the fact that Europe won't stand by and watch Greece, and not just Greece uh, leave the, the Eurozone, but watch the people of Greece go into a kind of chaotic situation of, uh, of collapse. 
while they sit there looking like the, the uh, heartless bankers uh, who put money before people and so on. That, that's how they're doing this. This, this. this is their whole approach. Their approach was not to cooperate with the, the loans that they took out and so on and to pay them back. The, their plan was to do this. So it goes on. Cyprus has blamed Merkel's insistence on tough austerity over the last five years for his country's humanitarian crisis of poverty and mass unemployment. So there you go. Yeah, from the beginning, they've pointed out Merkel. And in, for a long time now, in the, Greece, in the Greek media, they have portrayed her in political cartoons and so on, or other kind of Photoshop-type things as uh, wearing a Nazi uniform and so on, and putting the screws on Greece, just like Hitler did. Uh, Merkel, under pressure from her own conservatives at home, says that if Greece wants more bailout loans, the biggest share of which is financed by Germany, it must uphold its commitments on reforms and spending cuts. Greece's creditors agreed in February to extend its 240 billion euro bailout by four months in exchange for promises of further reform. So they already gave Greece a four-month extension. And now, so far, this article is putting the putting the situation fairly and and uh, pretty correctly, but something else is going to come up here. And I'll just continue. At an EU summit last week, Greece lobbied Brussels to release vital funds left in the bailout package to help it make payments to creditors in the coming days and avoid bankruptcy and a possible exit from the euro. Instead, the EU offered 2 billion euros in unused development funds to Greece after Tsipras vowed to clarify reform pledges demanded by the country's creditors. But that money isn't going into government coffers. Uh, that, that money is going to the uh, creditors, I suppose. So, turning the screw another notch, Spain's conservative economy minister, this means turning the screw on Greece, Spain's conservative economy minister, Luis de Guindos, told Monday's Financial Times that the fresh aid would not flow to Athens unless it pushes through all of its proposed reforms. This contradicts a statement by Cyprus that funds would begin to be dispersed as soon as a new list of reforms is presented. See, they're saying they're going to give they're going to give the Eurozone Committee a list of what they're going to do, and then they'll get the money. But this this uh, Spanish uh, guy minister said that they wouldn't get the money until they start pushing, start actually activating the reforms. Because they've already given a list. They gave a list of reforms, and then they didn't do anything. That was a, a month or two months ago. And nothing has happened about those. So this is, this is the kind of why, this is why the other members in Europe are, uh, don't have any sympathy left for Greece. Meanwhile, German taxpayers have grown increasingly frustrated with the tax from Greece, where both Merkel and her exacting finance minister, Wolfgang Schauble, have been caricatured as Nazis. See how they like to always call him something like exacting finance minister. Well, how are you supposed to be when you're dealing with huge amounts of money which belong to the 
people who who are, the money is taken from in their taxes and so on. And what they might have a euro fee that they have to pay or something to keep the, to support the euro and eurozone and all this money that's flowing around there. How are you supposed to be besides exacting? You know, he does a good job, but they always make out like he should loosen up a little bit and just let things go, be, a little, be more easygoing. Well, it goes on to say, a poll this month said more than half of Germans believe Greece should leave the Eurozone. And I'm very happy to see that. The German people are not, are not being taken in by this. But the government people, it's always the same. The government people and the politicians are not in line with what the German people think and want. They're too, they, they are making deals and they are accepting guilt and so on. But more than half, and later there's, another, there's a figure somewhere else I'm going to come upon that might be higher than that, more, more definite than just more than half. As tensions have flared, bitter historical memories have resurfaced, with Cyprus government reviving reparation claims for the Nazi occupation of Greece in World War II. Well, as I said, they had that plan already. Not, it didn't come because of tensions. They had it while they were running. How are we going to, you know, okay, we're making all these promises. How are we going to carry out these promises? Well, let's see, we got this reparations issue against the Germans and we're, you know, they started that, as they said, right away. However, Germany's top-selling daily build, which has repeatedly whipped up anti-Greek sentiment during the debt crisis, extended an olive branch ahead of the talks. It splashed the headline, Welcome to Germany, Mr. Tsipras, on its front page in Greek and German and listed 50 reasons to love the Greeks, including the fact that 1.6 million Germans went on holiday to their country last year. Well, they ought to be very happy that these Germans are coming to their country on holiday. And, you know, tourism is probably the number one business in, in Greece. As it is, you know, tourism is big in Europe, and Europeans are going around on their long, month-long vacations, going to other European countries and spending money and so on. So that Inner European tourism is a big, big cash benefit, cash crop in, in Europe. But anyway, they're, they're trying to, they bend over backwards to say, you know, we love Greece, we love Greeks, and they're trying to do everything they can without just coming down and supporting Greece and kept continuing to give them billions of dollars for who knows how long into the future. It would never end. Now, part that I didn't find there for some reason was from Hajo Funke, a political scientist with Berlin's Free University. He, you know, in these articles, they always find somebody like him to quote, like, like he, he is the one that's going to explain this whole situation to us. And you know that he must be a Marxist, for sure, or close to it. And so his comment is, in this meeting, two worlds will collide. Uh, there is the political world of Greece, where a left-wing government faces a society in collapse uh, of, and comma, of societal decay. That is, that's how he's describing Greece. A society in collapse and societal decay 
as grave as anything we have seen in Western Europe since 1945. So there you go again. Poor old Greece. They're in the worst shape of anybody since countries since the countries in Europe have been since 1945. He's comparing Greece to the situation in not only Germany but other European countries in 1945. He's not even singling out Germany as having the biggest problem. The other world is the content country that is dominant in Europe. Germany, which worries Europe and Germany, which worries about maintaining its economic happiness and which is now being asked to help the other under conditions it doesn't fully understand. Wait a minute. Where was Germany in 1945, as I already said? You know, this is being presented as poor Greece is the one that, was, that has been damaged by God only knows what. Sending your mind back to 1945. And then it's presenting Germany as this rich, contented country which only cares about its economic well-being and doesn't really want to, and is being asked to help another but it doesn't understand what's going on. You know what? It does understand. Why say the Germans don't under, fully understand what's happening in Greece? They understand, and they, under, they understand what Greece is trying to do to them. This, at the end of the article, then, they bring this Funke back, and they say, Funke said many German taxpayers have a distorted view of Greece, in which the new government is doing whatever it wants, the Greeks are lazy, and now they're giving us the finger. But you see, he's calling this a distorted view, but this is a real, a realistic view, a real view. The new government is doing whatever it wants. The Greeks are lazy and uh, compared to the Germans, and now they're giving us the finger, which their finance minister did. So it's all true, but Funke here says that it's, it's not true. And, and the Germans are believing things they shouldn't believe. And I want to say that this Funke, you know, bringing him back at the end of the article is what they always do. They have this, usually it's a Jew. It's a Jew complaining about the things Jews complain about. And they, they go and they ask him the question. And then they, they end the article with his comments, just like they're doing here with this Funke, who I don't know if he's, that he's a Jew. He's a German. But he's not a, he could, he's a Marxist German. And he goes on to say, though, I probably should have interrupted myself there. Despite such rampant prejudice and ill will on both sides, said Funke, the hope is that there can be a historical compromise which presupposes that the partners trust each other. Now, prejudice and ill will on both sides has not occurred all right? Uh, the prejudice and ill will has been on the Greek side. And it's been the Greeks that have been tearing into Germany. It's not, Germany has only been upholding the rules of the EU and Eurozone that it has become the, the most important member of. Not that they wanted to, but that's the way it's turned out. Because they're the only strong ones. And everybody depends on Germany as is naturally going to happen because Germany is the most important country in Europe and is the strongest. They are the strongest people and the most ready to lead and 
and the one with the most leadership capability and because they're the most responsible and, and dependable. And I've talked about that before. I've said that before. And it's, it's very true in this, right here in this situation. He says that there should be a historical compromise between Germany and Greece. Now I go back to the beginning where I said these countries are not in the same league. They don't even compare at all. And how are you going to have a historical compromise between them? And then he says, presupposing that the partners trust each other, that Greece and Germany are partners. How can they be partners? They're so unequal. You can't be partners with someone who's so unequal to you. They are, Greece is a part of the, the European Union and, has, and wrongly became a part of the Euro project in the Eurozone. Very, a big mistake. That was a big mistake. But to say that now these two must trust each other, saying that really Germany must trust Greece. When, when Greece has not been trustworthy, and the, and the Greeks don't want to trust Germany either because they want to keep pointing to Germany as, as uh, the one who's, doing, who's the big meanie and, and doing them wrong. And, and, and the reason for their problems. See, they, I think this party, this Syriza party, one of the main things about it is that it wants to use Germany and, of course, naturally, the chancellor and her closest ministers to, to point to as the problem, to use that with their people, to keep the support of their people, is saying the, the problems that we're having are not our fault. It's not the fault of us are in our party, and it's not your fault, the Greek people. We have been badly treated by by this banking cartel or something, and you, uh, which we agreed to, but and walked into with eyes wide open, and Germany is at the head of that, and Germany can has plenty of money, and they can help us out, but they won't do it. Germany is the problem. Germany is the evil person, and then we've got the Nazis to uh, back that up. There's there's still Nazis there. That's the whole program that they've got to to shift the blame for their problems from themselves over to Germany. I probably should have just said that in the beginning. Now, from a New York Times article, which I thought was pretty good, had a lot in it, but I can't read all this stuff, so I'm just giving one, a couple of sentences from there that I thought were meaningful. It, it was uh, yesterday's paper. I saw it on the Internet, of course. This uh, one portion says, Therese... Syriza can't not deliver on its promises. Many of its own party members are highly critical of the performance of Cyprus and Varoufakis. It's all a fake out. They are going to crash. Uh, this is a person who's, uh, this was a kind of a editorial, I think, but not fully an editorial. This was this person's opinion. And they are having a lot of problems in their own party. And that's what it was talking about there. Uh, Theresa party members they're on different they're on different pages some are more radical than others and they're arguing now and they're finding they're pointing the finger at their prime minister Tsipras and their, their finance minister Varoufakis is having done a very poor job up to now and not not representing Greece properly and bringing us to the brink, of bringing Greece to the brink of crisis, of a serious, serious financial crisis and 
probably uh, a crash in a terrible situation because they have not done their homework and they've not done their work at all. They're not working at all, a lot of them are saying. So there's a, a great deal of uh, backbiting there, and, and Cyprus more and more needs to get some kind of help from Germany, which he's getting through, trying to get at through this motherly Chancellor Miracle by him appealing, you know, appealing probably to, you know, her like a son or something, you know, would do. Well, I'm going to go now to the Spiegel cover, which is at zerohedge.com is where I managed to get hold of it so I could copy it. It's, 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 a, it's a financial site of sorts, and there's a fellow who writes for them sometimes by the name of Tyler Durden. He's, uh, I'm going to tell you some of the things that he has said. However, the, the cover itself is very, well, I like it very much because uh, Der Spiegel has been criticized for it uh, by other publications even and other news media as going too far. But what, what appeals to me, of course, it says um, how Europeans look at the Germans, the German superiority, which in large part, the Der Spiegel being such a left-wing uh, news media, communist is what I call them, uh, they, they agree with that. And so they're showing here, you know, they're, in a sense, they're criticizing Germany as usual. Uh, but at the same time, at, at this point, they're in a sense also they're also standing up for Germany, saying that this that Germany is getting more criticism than it deserves. It doesn't deserve this kind of criticism from Greece. However, the cover is a photo montage of, as you can see, the uh, old classical buildings on the Acropolis Mount there, and you have these wonderful-looking Nazis standing there in their uniforms. These are actually Wehrmacht officers, not Nazis. But they look very handsome and fit. And then you have uh, Ang Angela Merkel just looking happy and pleased by being there with them on the, you know, on the pinnacle of, of or you might say, um, victorious over Greece. So uh, that's that. I think it's pretty, pretty funny and cute. But the point is, to my mind, when I look at, at this image and I see those Wehrmacht officers, those German Wehrmacht officers, I think, boy, they really fit there. They ought to be there. And it brings, it brings forth the clear idea that if, if Germany had been able to win the war and had been able to continue in occupation of Greece and running Greece and the, and the, uh, and the National Socialist regime had not been destroyed in the country, in Germany totally destroyed too, and had been able to come back and rebuild itself and hold on to its gains, that if Germany were still in control, so to speak, I don't think it really would be to that extent, but if Germany had been supervising Greece all this time, Greece would be a wonderful place. It would be a wonderful place. And all the Greek people... The real Greek people would be happy unless they were so, you know, of course the Greeks tend to go communist and then they complain about, want, you know, not wanting to be independent. But their independence only brings them, 
chaos and to the brink of disaster. That's what I was, should have said earlier, that, that the other Syriza politicians were, were charging Tsipras government with, that, that uh, he was bringing Greece to the brink of disaster. That's the phrase. Anyway, if these, if these men, if these German Nazis had, <laughs> oh, they look, they're called Nazis, but as I said, they're just Wehrmacht officers. The German army were in control of Greece. Yes, it would it would be a fine place today. It would be a far better place to live. People don't seem to understand that to get to what is best for them is not necessarily through their own independence and their own doing because the Greeks are not capable of keeping their country going. They have been particularly economically. They have been economically inept from all the way back to uh, when the when this modern country was first formed. So Tyler Durden says just over a week ago when the bipolar schizoid relationship between Greece and Germany was in the we demand reparations for Nazi crimes stage we reported that the Greek Prime Minister threatened the seizure of German assets in response for crimes of the Third Reich and Hitler's hordes. That's in quotes. The Greek Prime Minister threatened the seizure of German assets in response for quote crimes of third of the should be crimes of the Third Reich and Hitler's hordes. Unquote. This is the kind of language that the Greeks are you have been using. The Germans don't use language like this. They use very mild language like, well, I think the Greeks are, are, uh, are fooling themselves or something like that. Or we, and now uh, Tyler Durden writes, We noted at that time that it was only a matter of time before Germany's peculiar sense of humor struck back, and not just with a fake video explaining how the allegedly fake Varoufakis uh, middle finger was fake. Oh, so he is. He realizes the truth about that. He realizes that that the video that said that the Varoufakis middle finger was fake was a fake video. That is, that was fake. That whole story was faked by that German so-called comedian who uh, has that program, uh, Neo something. And sure enough, he says, here comes Spiegel with how Europeans look at the Germans, the German superiority or the German Übermacht, in which Spiegel decided to send over Merkel, along with Field Marshal, Marshal Walter von Brauchitz, and a few other Nazis right in the middle of the Acropolis. Of course, the purpose of the article is not to suggest that the Fourth Reich is back and taking over Greece. Spiegel merely summarizes the case that Greece is trying to make, which, as we previously reported, Athens will use its Wehrmacht archives, which are over 400,000 pages, to support the country's claim for war reparations from Germany for damages inflicted during World War II in the period of 1941 to 1944. And this was emailed in a statement by the Greek Defense Ministry. Okay? So they're serious about this. They're very serious, and they're trying trying to say that we're trying to get along and build a, a relationship with Germany at the same time that they've got this plan that they're not going to give up to, uh, to bilk billions 
from Germany for so-called war reparations. Well, you know, this, is, this doesn't show any kind of good faith. But to go on with Durden. However, it is conveyed in a way that will provoke the same kind of knee-jerk populist response in Greece that accompanied the Varoufakis finger, which also was taken greatly out of context. Well, it was a little bit, because his talking, he was talking about 2000, I mean, yeah, 2010, not about now. Well, I never took it that he was talking about it now, because you could, you, you could read right, right, off, right off the bat that, that he wasn't. But uh, they're trying to make any kind of a, a way to help the Greeks all the time. So Varoufakis says, oh, it was taken out of context, taken out of context. Well, it was all there. It was all, it was, if you wanted to read it, this is the false point. In any case, this guy says, case in point, fellow German media, Süddeutsche uh, Zeitung, which is another newspaper, promptly took Spiegel to task for its provocative, to say the least, cover. It wasn't alone. Other Germans stepped in, realizing this escalation to the basest public reaction is quickly getting out of control. Spiegel promptly had to defend its own editorial and photo choices when it said, of course, the comparison with Hitler's Third Reich is nonsensical, but is it right to call Germany a selfish European hegemon? Well, I'm kind of with Spiegel. I mean, if if there's so much uh, support for places like that Charlie Hebdo magazine in in Europe and so much support for free speech as long as it's not pro-Nazi, or, or anti-Holocaust, well then, um, why should this be such a problem? People should be able to see what it really means, and I think they do. Nobody thinks that it's saying that Merkel wants to bring back Hitler's Third Reich to and, uh, and rule over Greece in some way or something. Nobody thinks that. It's more like making fun of yourself by saying, well, we're, we're seen as these... Uh, as the superior, like we're, we think we're the superior Germans in Europe. That's, that's how the rest of Europe sees us. Well, you know, and that's how it is when you're successful. And there's no doubt that Germany is far more successful than anybody else in Europe today, including the, the Brits, uh, that if they were allowed to get under the thumb of the United States and also uh, of this horrible a guilt trip that they're under, then then they'd really show something. But this way, they have to, as it is, they have to uh, always appear so humble and, and no, understanding their debt that they have to repay and so on to all of Europe. But the out-of-context escalation continues, and the politically correct response to the out-of-context escalation continues, until finally the ordinary people on both sides of the conflict say enough and decide that the time has come to sever the tenuous thread that still holds Greece to Europe and finally end the myth that the Eurozone is unbreakable. Well, I'm glad to find somebody saying that because that's exactly the truth. That's, that's exactly what needs to be done because there is no way that Greece is going to get along in the future, even if it changes governments now. Uh, and it's not in likely to change governments for a long time because the people so far, the Greek people so far, are still very supportive of this uh, socialist leftist government because they hope to get something out of it. 
That's what the Greek people always want. They want they want something. They want help, and therefore um, they, they don't seem to ha- they don't they don't have a good economy there. They don't have ways for people to earn a living. <coughs> In the course of Greek, if Greece collapses, they're all going to be moving out of Greece and going into the rest of Europe, and probably. Going Germany will feel the need to take in uh, millions of them, so that's going to be a disaster. The German people are going to have to stand up, which something is something they don't seem to be able to do. But it would be nice if they would. He is saying that that Greece is is attached to uh, Europe by a tenuous thread, and the uh, the idea that they're constantly coming out with it. We cannot break the Eurozone. We cannot let anybody leave the Eurozone. Is a myth. And he finishes up by saying, which may be precisely the intention behind these seemingly inexplicable out-of-context episodes that the German and Greek media medias have been flooded with in the past several weeks to pave the way for what is now and what has been for the past five years inevitable. Well, I agree that it is inevitable that it has been for a long time. It has been for the past five years inevitable. And was it five years ago that Greece, that Greece joined the Eurozone in 2010? I'm not sure, but that was their first bailout. So um, it wasn't when they joined. But they never should have joined. They never should have been allowed in. I've said that. But here, further, going further, he is saying that maybe this is all being kind of set up in order to ease the passage of the end of Greece in the Eurozone. I don't think so, but it's certainly helping to do that. It's helping to bring that about, and I certainly hope that it does come about. A few other things I want to bring up. Uh, One is about the uh, Wolfgang Schäuble, 72-year-old finance minister, has clashed repeatedly with his unruly 53-year-old Greek peer, Yanis Varoufakis. Schauble says Athens has totally destroyed the trust of its European partners. Well, I don't know when Schauble said that, but it's, they've got him quoted here saying that, so it must have been quite recently. Bavaria's conservative state finance minister, Marcus Söder, says, quote, It would be good if Cyprus can convince the chancellor on Monday that he grasped the seriousness of the situation. So far, Greece has promised, but not delivered. I expect Cyprus to present now another person. This is someone else. This is Thomas Opperman, parliamentary leader of the Merkel's Social Democratic Social Democrat Coalition Partners. So he's a social democrat who is uh, sharing in the government with uh, sharing in Merkel's government. I expect Cyprus to present this list in his talks with the Chancellor on Monday. I want to know once and for all if Greece is ready to reform or not. That is, he, he's saying he expects when Cyprus comes on today uh, that, he, that he brought his list of reform, his list of uh, what he was going to do. They didn't just come in again without it. He wants to know whether Greece is ready to reform or not. Everybody is holding to that, that uh, they're not going to listen to what Greece has to say anymore in its crybaby stories, but they want to know whether they're going to reform their, their country, their government. It says, and this Opperman also said, nothing will happen 
if the Greek government is not crystal clear in its willingness to reform. So the people in Germany, these the people in Merkel's party, are being very firm, and I'm very happy to see that Schäuble, I guess is how it's pronounced, is, is holding on to being very firm. And you know, the way they talk about him, and this man is in a wheelchair, and he is in a wheelchair, not because he's sick or had some, you know, some illness problem or whatever. It's because he was, he was the subject of an assassination attack. He was shot by an unhappy uh, German person of the, of the left wing who got angry at, he, when he was not finance minister. He was holding some other office in the government. I forget now what it was, but he was holding this office and some unhappy citizen got angry at what he was doing and uh, went after him with a gun and shot him and left him uh, unable to walk. So now he has in a wheelchair. He makes the best of it and he's still in the government. He's still full of, uh, full of energy, it seems, uh, if you can say that about someone in a wheelchair, to, uh, to do his job and to, and he's very, very capable also and that's that's what you need so i think a lot of him even though he's he's uh goes along with the political correctness in germany and so on and probably sincerely does but what are you going to do uh when when germany is being so attacked i i go to the defense of germany uh, even with the, the government that they have here it says here's something from the build on sontag the build on Sunday, Sunday's paper, Sunday's edition. It, you know, they, for all that they've been standing up to Greece, they at the same time do things like having in their Sunday paper moving interviews of survivors of the 1944 Nazi massacre of more than 218 people in the Greek village of Distomo. Now, not to say, not mentioning that these 218 people were all resistance fighters killing the Germans that had to be, and the Germans had to, as they say, pacify the country and subdue the country from these people. And so the answer to them, which was legal, was to execute them. <clears throat> legal under international law. But everybody, uh, well, certainly the Greeks want to forget that now and, and portray these people as their heroes. And they're not. They were not heroes. In any case, this, this sentence is followed by that the Sunday Build paper had these interviews as well as featuring a poll saying 71% of Germans were opposed to paying further World War II reparations to Greece. Okay, so there's, there's, that's two different issues. 71% of Germans in a poll said they're opposed to paying further World War II reparations to Greece. Good for them. In the other case, it was over half, how much over half, I don't know, but over half saying that they uh, were thought that, um, that Germany shouldn't pay any more money to Greece until it carries on the reforms it's supposed to carry on. So, <clears throat> so more people. I can't imagine that 29% of Germans would not say they were opposed, but there is a, a large faction of leftists and communists in Germany, as we know from 
the Green Party and the uh, the Left Party, which is the new name for it, used to be the Communist Party. We know that. So, in that case, then we have all these people, all these Germans, who are actually on the side of the Greeks in this, and say that uh, are even bring uh, saying in Parliament and so on that Germany should look at this uh, war reparations issue for Greece and oh they think that Germany probably does owe war reparations to Greece and they should pay it and they should do all these things because they hate Germany they they are international people they hate any kind of German nationalism they will never stand up for Germany they always stand up for the people who are who are attacking or harping at Germany or wanting to get things from them. Uh, they always do that. And there's, so there's at least, uh, you know, over 20% of them in Germany. Let's see. Um, so I, these, uh, these newspapers, you can't depend on them. Once in a while they say something pretty good, but you can't depend on them because uh, the, the news media is, really is controlled by Jews. Whether it's uh, direct editorial control, uh, ownership, or whether it's uh, through advertising and so on, or it's just through the pressure of uh, political correctness, which is particularly strong in in Germany, uh, there they are. And I want to now say that um, to bring up something that Mario Monti, the uh, former economic minister for Italy has recently said just yesterday and he says France is the big problem of the EU Uh, Mario Monti is um, he was dubbed Super Mario for saving Italy from collapse at the height of the Eurozone debt crisis so he's been through it all and he said France's unease with the single currency had already created tensions between Europe's two largest economies that's France and Germany. He says that France has become Europe's big problem and warned that anti-Brussels sentiment in France and the rise of populist parties in the Gallic nation threatened to blow the bloc's Franco-German axis apart. Well, he is pro-EU and pro-Eurozone. However, he says some interesting things here. He said, quote, In the last few years, we have seen France receding in terms of actual economic performance, in terms of complying with all the European rules, and above all, in terms of its domestic public opinion, which is turning more and more against Europe. This he said in the Daily Telegraph, the British Daily Telegraph newspaper. He was speaking to them. He says, France has been persistently defiant, has been in in defiance of the EU budget targets. Rise of the... The front national parties has bothered him, (laughs) naturally, but he's been in defiance of the EU's budget targets himself. And Monty says, France is the big problem of the European Union because the whole construct has been leveraged on the foundation of a solid Franco-German entente. Uh, Like, if this isn't there, then there's a poor destiny for Europe. We've seen that the strong axis is no longer so strong. So the whole European Union... And, of course, the, the euro itself was built on the foundation of France-German partnership that would hold it all together because they were the biggest 
economies in Europe. Then we have Jens Wiedmann, the president of Germany's Bundesbank, recently attacked the EU's decision to give France extra time to start out his, its budget. I think Monty brought this up. Mr. Wiedmann said countries such as France, which, has, which have failed or which has failed to meet a 3% deficit target for several years, should not be allowed to perpetually put off belt tightening. In a warning to France, Mr. Monti said, maybe you forgot, but we all remember that France was the country that wanted the euro, not Germany. Well, I thought that was pretty impressive. I, I wasn't, I didn't have positive knowledge of that, but uh, I know that Germany was hesitating for a long time, but France was not. And then Monty goes on to say, Germany reluctantly accepted the euro to get approval of the other countries for its reunification process. It would have much rather kept to the Deutschmark. It was France who insisted to have the single currency, and now it's so uneasy with it. Well, wow, wow, wow. You see, there's France. France pushed for this whole thing, and now France itself cannot keep up to keep up to the rules economically. Now, the truth is, though, that France was not a socialist government at that time, but it wasn't Hollande. Hollande comes along. He's a big socialist, and those dumb French people, just like the Greek people, vote this socialist government in so they can get more stuff from government and he promises, oh, we're going to take care of you all. We're going to do everything for you. But then they run out. They can't, they can't control their finances. They spend too much money. And they don't have enough money coming in. Same old problem with leftists and communists and liberals. Same old problem all the time. So <clears throat> now we have this problem with France. And it leaves Germany as as holding the bag there and it never even wanted it. Germany wasn't in a in any kind of rush to do any of this. Germany was always doing very fine on its own. It was others who wanted to get the strength of Germany in support of itself, in support of them. And the rest of Europe wants to tie Germany in so that Germany will be their backer and will be supporting all the rest. See, this is why, this is really why I don't like any of it. And in my opinion, and, and I'll just say here uh, that, you know, France uh, is never a friend. France, I, I have a low, I don't have a high opinion of France, but I know have some people, some French people who I think very, very highly of. So there's a lot of great, great people, but France itself is always selfishly thinking about itself and looking to see its best, its best option, and it has never been able to stand be the, be the one that keeps standing, you know. So I see them as kind of selfish and spoiled uh, as a nation. Well, they're too non-white. There's too much non-white in France. But in any case, what is happening now is that we have Germany is becoming more and more after this after the ruination of this socialist government, which probably won't last. I don't, Hollande uh, won't be reelected, but the, that's another year and a half away, so. And old Sarkozy is back in the game. Uh, so we'll, we'll see there, but it's never going to have the strength of Germany. 
and German, Germany knows that. I mean, Merkel knows that, so she's taking the responsibility as far as having these discussions and trying to take a leadership role, which I don't think she ever particularly wanted all that much, but she's she is doing it. And Germany is forced into this role, and at the same time, a target for every kind of criticism if they don't satisfy everyone. But in the moment, at the moment, the other European countries are supporting Germany and supporting Angela Merkel and not supporting Greece, which disappoints Greece. Greece expected the other southern countries or the other countries in trouble, especially Spain and Portugal and and maybe Ireland and other other countries to be supportive of its of its appeals, but it has turned out that it, that they're not. So, the uh, what what is coming up is coming up very fast now to see just how this this Greek uh, situation is going to unfold. But it's e- it's easy to say, as I say, well, Greek Greece should leave the eurozone. But if Greece collapses, which it probably will, then it's going to be a problem for Europe. Not just a problem for the Eurozone or the European Union, but a problem for Europe to have a country like that and a country where all these refugees are flooding in through there in in a state like that. Somebody would have to take it over. And that's why. That's why. The The whole problem started in 19... 41 or 1939 or in the 1930s or in, 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 in 1945 however you want to look at it that as I said about this cover that I use for this show the Spiegel cover that's what should that's the way it should be if we want to have a stable Europe and a stable Greece we would have this we would have Germany still overseeing Europe the National Socialist Germany the successors of Adolf Hitler if they could have held themselves together. And without all the interrupt, and the Jews gone. See, the Jews, if, if Hitler had succeeded, the Jews would have been out of Europe and not allowed into Europe. In fa- as a matter of fact, the, they would have pushed back to the Urals, and the Jews would have been behind there. So it would have been very difficult for them to get back in. And in that case, with a National Socialist-run Europe out of Germany, everything would have been totally different, and we wouldn't have all the problems that we've had since. Uh, I, I, uh, I'm not going to say any more about that because uh, I'm running out of energy here, and I've got another half of this program to do. Lied der Flüchtlinge. Wir ziehen auf endlosen Straßen. Durch Tage und Nächte dahin, von Gott und den Menschen verlassen, ganz ohne Ziel, ohne Sinn. Wir wandern auf endlosen Wegen, getrieben, verfolgt vom Geschick, der trostlosen Zukunft entgegen. Wann finden wir zurück? Dach überm Kopf und das tägliche Brot und Arbeit für unsere Hände. Dann kämpfen wir gern gegen Unglück und Not. 
und zwingen das Schicksal zur Wende. Die Welt soll wieder schön in Freiheit und Frieden erstehen. Ja, wenn zwar alles verloren, doch wollen wir den Schmerz überstehen. Wir haben verzweifelt gesporen, wir wollen nicht untergehen. Wir lassen die Hoffnung nicht sinken, wir glauben trotz Tränen und Leid, dass uns bessere Tage winken in einer neuen Zeit. Aber ein Dach überm Kopf und das tägliche Brot und Arbeit für unsere Ende, dann kämpfen wir gern gegen Unglück und Not und zwingen das Schicksal zur Wende. Die Welt soll wieder schön in Freiheit und Frieden erstehen. Die Welt soll wieder schön in Freiheit und Frieden erstehen. Welcome back, listeners. I am Carolyn Yeager, and I'm glad that you've stuck around, and we're going to go now and talk about Russia and the disconnect there. Well, what took place at the first international conservative forum in St. Petersburg yesterday? There were about 150 people, it's been reported, in attendance who came from both European and Russian nationalist so-called right-wing parties. They ranged from Jared Taylor to members of the Golden Dawn, to uh, Alexander Kaufman, the foreign minister of the self-proclaimed Donetsk People's Republic. Now, there's quite a, a wide variety there. There were some who had been billed for quite some time as uh, participating, but who did not come, such as the representative of the FPO Freedom Party in Austria. I'll, say, I'll have more to say about that a little bit later. The meeting was dispersed early because of a bomb threat. The AP reports that the participants had planned to sign a resolution at the conclusion of the forum, but the hotel where they were meeting was evacuated because of a bomb threat, and so they all dispersed. I'll bet somebody is very disappointed that that resolution was not signed by everyone present. Maybe they'll send it around by mail or something later. It was nominally hosted by the Russian National Culture Center, People's House, but it was, in fact, the work of the Rodina Party, who said that it included only European rightists and who supported Putin on Ukraine. The stated purpose of the forum, then, which was organized by this party, which is also called the Russian National Patriotic Union, uh, that's, that's its official name, is the establishment of a pan-European movement which would lobby for Russia's interests. Think about that, a pan-European movement that will lobby for Russia's interests, especially in the face of possible further sanctions against Moscow. 
The proposed council will allow coordination between conservatives and nationalistic forces in Europe and Russia and would enable Moscow to influence political processes in the European Union. This is, uh, this is all admitted. So it was definitely a pro-Putin event. And it's simply, as I would see it, Putin playing both sides. Pretty obvious, but I guess if you're not, maybe if you don't look, at, look into it as much as I have, you might not notice that. The invited guests included those who are called neo-Nazis, national socialists, fascists, and race realists. Everything that Putin has condemned in Russia. But it was also an anti-Ukraine, an anti-EU, and an anti-American event. So that puts a different picture on it. In addition, Russia is soon to be celebrating its 70th anniversary of victory over what they call fascist or Nazi Germany on May 7th. So none of this really comes together in an orderly fashion in the way that we're used to thinking about politics and who's on whose side and so on. This is, a, this is an attempt to uh, bridge the gap and bring both the left and the right to whatever extent possible in, to the support of President Putin of Russia. Now, how could this happen? Well, that all this has come together in this way. Well, let's look at the Rodina Party to find out, which is what I did. And it began as a coalition of 30 nationalist and left-wing groups that was established by Dmitry Rogozin, or Rogozin, in, and, uh, in 19... I don't have the date when it was actually established, but in 2003, they won 9.2% of the vote in the Duma elections, which are the national parliament and ended up with 37 of the 450 seats in the Duma. That's pretty impressive. So that was clearly a threat to Putin's party, which is the United Russia Party. Putin does not tolerate competition to himself and his influence in Russia. So what happened was that the, the Rodina Party had difficulty in getting, uh, being able to get on the ballot and being able to register their candidates and so on. And these difficulties continued into 2006. Remember, we, they had their big victory in 2003. When, in 2006, it failed to obtain permission to contest local elections in a number of regions. It did, however, come in third in the regional elections in the Altai Republic. But then, in uh, 2006, in March... Dmitry Rogozin unexpectedly stepped down as party leader in March and was replaced by the less-known businessman Alexander Babakov. Now, this is rather suspicious, and certainly many suspected that this was a tactical decision on Rodina's part to ease pressure from the Kremlin, although a small number of party members in Moscow had been vocal in their criticism of Rogozin's, or Rogozin's more nationalist rhetoric. Well, I would say uh, this was a kind of a ruse. The vocality of some of the party members uh, criticizing the head of the party, and he then stepped down because of that criticism. Um, I would say he was forced out by Putin 
operatives and may be paid off. And what we're going to see next shows that he was indeed paid off. Rodin emerged then with the Russian Party of Life and the Russian Pensioners Party, forming a new party called a Just Russia. This was in October 2006. So in March 2006, the uh, leader Rogozin stepped down, the strong nationalist. He stepped down, and in October, uh, they created a new party, and then many joined this new party, except for Rogozin and two other men. And in 2007, Rogozin was appointed Russian ambassador to NATO. So there was his payoff, right? Already waiting for him, which he would have known. They, he was, they, the party was not going to be able to make any, any headway, and so he agreed to step down and get this, get this ambassadorship, which was certainly a plum. And then the party, Rodina party, was reinstated in 2012. So five years later, from 2007 to 2012, they were part of this uh, just party, just Russia, and not probably accomplishing much. But in 2007 and 2012, they were allowed to be reestablished as Rodina under uh, the leadership of a certain Alexei Zuralvilov, who was, guess what, a member, former, a former member of the ruling United Russia Party, Putin's party. So someone from Putin's party came over and became the leader of the newly uh, uh, reinstalled Rodina party. And now it's Putin's party. What do, you, what do you know? So this is the party, which is under the uh, closely, closely associated under the influence totally of Putin. Uh, this is the party that sponsored this program yesterday, this forum. Uh, therefore, you know, that's how it works. It, it's a puppet party under Putin. The biggest name in attendance at yesterday's conference was Nick Griffin, the biggest name for most people in the world. He is the former head of the British National Party. And he's now involved in, uh, I think it is, I think he's very involved in the APF, which was just established, it's an umbrella organization, just established on February 4th, 2015, huh, last month, and is represented by, it's an umbrella party for a number of parties, and they are, and all of these parties were at this forum meeting yesterday, the new force in Italy, the National Democratic Party of Germany in Germany, uh, the Party of the Swedes, the Golden Dawn Party of Greece, the National Democracy Party of Spain, a party called Nation in Belgium, I don't know that at all, a Danish, uh, the Danish Party or Party of the Danes in Denmark, which is very similar to the Party of the Swedes in their philosophy, and also Horatio Maria Guerra, president of the European Communist Party. Millennium was there. Oh boy, the communists and the fascists are all together there. And the Nazis. And then there are a bunch of Russians, quite a number, uh, representing certain uh, organizations. And, and there are also a lot of Cossacks there. 
So it was quite a colorful group, I would say. And Griffin spoke of what he said that was published, uh, quoted in the newspapers or in the media. He said, I see this forum as a way of pushing the fight back against liberalism and what we call modernism, the destruction of traditional values, including Christianity, throughout the modern world. Russia is about tradition and Christianity, and it's very important that traditionalists from Russia, Europe, and America get together to present our ideas more effectively to the general public. Well, speaking like that, I'd say it's no wonder Andrew Anglin has changed his mind about Nick Griffin and now thinks he's a terrific guy, whereas before he was featuring him as a what he used to have, he was, he was featuring Nick Griffin as a shill, as one of the shills in the movement. Well, Udo Voigt was also there. Supposedly, he, he wasn't actually representing Germany's National Democratic Party. He, he is a member of the European Parliament now from that party, I do believe, but he's not a, uh, an officer of the party any longer. He holds no position in the party, but he's, he's, uh, does, he is in the European Parliament, and he does share those, those views. So he was there speaking, and he said, We do not support the sanctions against Russia over the Ukraine conflict, whoever we is. It is incredible what patience Russia and President Putin have shown in the face of NATO's aggressive policies. Oh, that's been publicized. And then a very different kind of nationalist, the American Jared Taylor, was also there and spoke. But he said afterward that he found some of the events suspicious because organizers didn't tell him who would be there ahead of time. He said he was aghast at the attendance list, but came and spoke anyway because they paid for his plane ticket and hotel. After a tour of St. Petersburg, he said, he planned to continue on to Moscow to promote his book, White Identity. Well, there's nothing wrong with that, but I think it's funny the way he's using them. And uh, if I got a plane ticket and hotel paid for in St. Petersburg, I would want to go too and, and take a look at St. Petersburg. And I would even be willing to speak at the meeting if that's what they wanted in order to get that uh, so-called free trip. I suppose you got a plane ticket back home too, although he's going on to Moscow, so maybe he can't use can't use his in that way. But that shows uh, how much Jared Taylor really cares about the whole thing. Now, France's National Front uh, was uh, they desired them to to come very much, but they never were willing to come, and they did not attend the meeting. But I read that it's, uh, Marine Le Pen appeared on Russian state television on Saturday to condemn uh, the EU sanctions against Moscow and anti-Russian propaganda, which she claimed is being done, quote, under orders from the U.S., unquote. I don't know whether she, this, this uh, appearance of hers on Saturday was, if it was said that she was, you know, giving a kind of a message to this forum or the conference or whether, whether it was tied into this uh, nationalist forum at all or whether she just had some other opportunity 
given to speak there, uh, but it was probably coordinated in some way, even if not if not openly. But she's not going to take a chance to go and appear at a meeting like that. And uh, one group that did disappoint the organizers, or I should say another group that disappointed the organizers, is the Austrian Freedom Party, also known as the FPO. They were really counting on them appearing, but a senior politician from this party, Johann Gudenis, has said recent, very, very recently that he never planned to, to join the gathering at this International Russian Conservative Forum in St. Petersburg uh, on Sunday. He, on Tuesday, he told the uh, APA that he had never said he would participate and never intended to go there. Well, they're saying otherwise that he did. And, but Yuri Lubomirsky of Russia's Rodina Party told the APA, this is a news service, that he only received an email from Gudenis on March 9th canceling his participation in the conference and saying that he was too busy with election campaigns in Austria. So it appears that this member of the Rodina Party is saying that uh, he was going to attend, but on March 9th, which was kind of late, he thought, he, he wrote and canceled it. So they had already created a lot of advertising, and they featured the FPO quite over and above every other organization and party that they were using in their advertising. So they're probably a little, well, they have a little egg on their face from that. So he came out with that explanation. And then there's others who I would say want to stick it to Austria because it may be that that they thought uh, uh, Marine Le Pen was considering going and some other people were considering going. And in the end, of course, the, the more important people decide no and pull back and the little ones are, are left, you know, willing to go and do go. So this is, could be what happened here. But the, uh, the Austrian, pre the Austria Press Agency, that's, that's okay, that's the APA, is the Austria Press Agency reports that it has seen a letter from Gudenis from December, uh, written in English with an official FPO letterhead, in which he thanked the R IRCF for the invitation and said he was looking forward to joining the conference. Well, th this could be a fraud by some, uh, some group that wants to do that because they're only saying that they saw a letter, but they don't have any proof of it. They don't have any letter to show. So, uh, but, it's, but it's possible. But the Russian Federation of Jewish Communities said it was extremely worried. So this is another, another aspect of this is the Jews. And this uh, Federation of Jewish Communities in Russia said it was extremely worried about such a meeting in one of the cities that suffered most from the Nazis, saying it was particularly cynical given Russia would per celebrate the 70th anniversary of its victory over Adolf Hitler's Germany in May. This just came out today. They are saying that the, this meeting, time and place, was particularly cynical. And it is kind of strange, I have to say. Organizers said that the forum was intended to strengthen links with right-wing groups across Europe and help shape a common agenda. This meeting is the first foundation stone towards constructing the new world that we are obliged to build, said Fyodor 
Birukov from the pro-Kremlin Rodina party that organized the event. All right, he's a, he's a major person in this party. And he is saying what they're doing is constructing a new world that they are obliged to build. Now, you know, this new world is absolutely Eurasia. That's what, that's what we're talking about here. Eurasia. Several demonstrators outside the hotel venue were holding placards reading no to Nazis and it is scandalous for Russia to welcome the heirs of Mussolini and Hitler. There was a few of them out there. And somewhere else it says there, there were a couple dozen all told. But that's not much. And with what you can pull together in Russia, not at all. So obviously nobody was putting together demonstrators probably were told not to. This this meeting had to have the approval of President Putin for sure. We know what he's hoping to gain from it. He is so, rather desperate about the problem with Europe as much as he doesn't want to admit it. And uh, so this this whole plan that probably had been worked out but not put into action was brought out and dusted off and, and put into action now, even though it, it conflicts with the May 7th anniversary of their great, their great victory celebration. It's supposed to, supposedly, it's going to be the biggest one ever for the 70th. And because it's necessary, too. And they're going to be attacking Nazi Germany for all it's worth. And here they've got these people who say they are... I don't know what they say, but um, certainly Udo Voigt, I'm, I'm disappointed that he was there, although I know I shouldn't be because I know that uh, that's what a lot of those NPD people think, and I know that he's spoken about it before, so it's not, it's not new. It's not shocking or anything, but we'll say that Russia is, this, this idea of, of Russia's um, 70th anniversary of the victory over Nazi Germany this is going to be a sad affair for someone like me and many of you listening, I hope. But I think it brings to mind the National Committee for a Free Germany that operated out of the Soviet Union during World War II. In 1933, the outlawing of the Communist Party of Germany, which was called the KPD, caused many of many German communists to flee to the Soviet Union. I mean... Hundreds of them went, and I don't know if you could say thousands, but at least hundreds went to the Soviet Union. There were two organizations in the Soviet Union, the NKFD and the BDO, that were focused on uh, propaganda and had their own newspaper and radio station. These were, these were uh, German communists. These were for the Germans. And they sent leaflets to German soldiers at the front, you know, like telling them to lay down their arms or join the opposition or quit fighting or uh, whatever it would be. And also to PO, German POWs in the Soviet camps. Red Army Major Lev Kopolev described the joint psychological warfare at Rudyard's in March 1945 by the Red Army and members of the NKFD. General Walter von Seidlitz Kurzbach, mostly known as von Seidlitz, offered to raise an anti-Hitler army from the NKFD and the BDO. 
these were organiz okay, these were the organizations that they wanted Germans to join. And even if they were in even if they were POWs, if they wanted to turn away from their, their old allegiance and join the the Soviets, um, they were welcome to to it and they could join these organizations and they were well treated, certainly better treated than they had been. And uh, they tried to use this to, to create quite a lot of Germans in, in Russia, Germans for Stalin or Germans for the Soviet Union, what have you, or to bring down Adolf Hitler. And this was something that Hitler's people paid a lot of attention to. Now, Stadlitz was one of the traitors involved in Stalingrad. He was a soldier fighting at Stalingrad, not a soldier, an officer. Now here he's called general. Between him and Paulus, he was recommending that they surrender. And Paulus also wanted to surrender, but he wasn't allowed to until he finally did. But Seidlitz was the, the, the Seidlitz Committee is what the Germans called it. He was, he was the leading traitor there working with the Soviets while the war was still going on. Uh, now, he, like it's, it was saying here, he offered to raise an army for Stalin, but uh, to fight the Nazis of these Germans, Germans uh, who had turned, but the Soviets did not accept his offer. Well, just like you see, uh, the Germans didn't want to accept the offers of uh, of some of the um, Ukrainians and so on either for that very reason. Well, so all this, the ending up with uh, spying here, the spy agencies and so on, the intelligence agencies, brings me to a story that I saw that I think is fitting here, titled, uh, it's from Sweden, Russia's biggest threat diplomats who are doing spy work. And I'll go through it here. It says the Swedish secure, this is just, yesterday or so, the Swedish Security Service, SAPO, S-A-P-O, accused Russia on Wednesday of using as many as one-third of its diplomatic staff in the Scandinavian country for clandestine intelligence gathering. That is not at all surprising. Not at all. Offering an unusual glimpse into the hush-hush world of counter-espionage, SAPO chief analyst Wilhelm Ung, that would be the uh, Swedish intelligence service, Swedish security service, described the Russian spies as highly educated and often younger than during the Soviet era. They are driven, goal-oriented, and socially competent, he said. Naming Russia as the biggest intelligence threat against Sweden, followed by Iran and China, he said Sapo last year stopped several attempts by Russia to obtain Swedish technology for military purposes. He declined to give specifics. Well, this, is, this is, has always been the way Russia has operated. They have always been, I'm not finished with this yet, but I'm going to make a comment here. They have always put spying at, at the top of the importance of their of you know of their government work and uh, and they need that's how they've gotten all their technology just like Israel they do it through spying and they have the they have like a huge spy network I I would like to say that Russia is mainly a, uh, a, a intelligence network that calls itself a country because that's its main occupation 
is intelligence and getting getting what it thinks it needs in order to be competitive because otherwise it would not be. It wouldn't be. Sapo warned last year that Russia had stepped up its political, economic, and military espionage in Sweden, which isn't a NATO member, by the way, but cooperates closely with the alliance, uh, the NATO alliance, uh, or the NATO countries, amid deteriorating relations with the West over the Ukraine crisis. There are hundreds of Russian intelligence officers around Europe and the West, he said, this Ung. Uh, he said, they violate our territory every day. And then he says, uh, what's notable is that about one-third of the Russian diplomatic personnel are in reality not diplomats, but intelligence officers. Why don't we send them out, he asked, as a question, you know. And he said, counter-espionage comes with the complication that we're following other governments. This becomes po politics directly. I don't know if this is written right. Some, so much stuff is not in the, translated properly. But anyway, so we don't own the decisions of who should or shouldn't be in Sweden. That's up to the government. So he's saying uh, as, as, as counter-espionage and as the Secret Service of Sweden, they can't decide who's allowed to come into the country and who isn't. They don't make those decisions. The government does. And you know how the Swedish government is. So he's, he's saying they are aware of this and they probably uh, make these recommendations and give this, make this information available to the government agencies and ministries, but that's up to them to decide what to do about it. It says the foreign ministry, which accredits foreign diplomats in Sweden, declined to say whether they shared Sappho's assessment or whether any Russian diplomats have had been expelled in the past year. That is, they, they're not going to comment on it, the foreign ministry. And a spokesman for the foreign ministry said, we expect Russia to respect the Vienna Con Convention and that their diplomats are actually diplomats. Well, that sounds intelligent, doesn't it? Does that sound rather naive and gullible? Are they that gullible? Is she telling the truth, or is this supposed to be some kind of a ploy? because they're non-committal on, on the whole issue. We, we come across this in other instances, too, where, well, we expect that this should be done. So we're just assuming that it's being done, because this is how it's supposed to be done. You know, a diplomat is a real diplomat. Well, I'm sure they're not that naive, uh, but that's the answer that they gave. Currently, the foreign by department of, of Russia is the SVRRF. It's the official foreign operations successor to many prior Soviet-era foreign intelligence agencies, ranging from the original Foreign Department of the Cheka under Vladimir Lenin to the OGPU and NKVD of the Stalinist era, followed by the first chief directorate of the KGB. And now we have, they have the SVRRF. Never heard of it. You know, you, that's not a well-known name like, uh, or acronym like the others were. But it's still operating. Yeah, we're not supposed to think that it is. But it is. Now, the disconnect for this part of the program is that 
Russia is not the victor it thinks it is. This is, this is one disconnect I can point out. Russia is currently a failed economy. And though it has a vast area with incredible resources, its people are not of the quality of Germans or of Germanic peoples or the West in general, the Western Europeans. And as Hitler said, it can only succeed with a slave driver being pushed along with a tyrant like Stalin. That's what he said back then, that you know the Russian people aren't going to do anything unless they're treated that way. And then they work and put out. In today, but you have to think for him too. And he, in today's world, you know, this, this is not tolerated by white Russians or Europeanized Russians to have a, have a, a, a ruler like that. And even though he, he's managing to get away with more and more today because of threats that the way, and the way that television is so, is mainly propaganda and fantasy about what the, what's going on in the rest of the world. Now, and on the same, the, the same type of thing as North Korea, but not that to that extent at all because they're much more connected to the rest of the world. But still, that, that type of thing goes on. Today, in Russia, uh, the controlled media, far more controlled than we're used to even, with the Jews. Uh, the Jews control it along certain lines, but not everything. And I, I would say that the talk, all this talk at this conference about Christianity and traditionalism, and so many people are, use that to praise today's Russia, that, oh, it's still a traditional society and they're still solidly Christian and so on. I don't even believe that, but in any case, it only, what, what that kind of talk only offers backwardness and lack of culture. It, it, it uh, justifies a kind of a backwardness in, in, uh, amongst the Russian Federation. And, of course, the Russian Federation is made up of not just whites, but all kinds of other non-whites and uh, not just Christians at all but Muslims and mostly Muslim but also a lot of other religions and that's growing so I would say that the, Russia is not the wave of the future and it's not the way for us to find our freedom from the controlled the Jewish controlled governments that, that we have in the West now but it's more of the failure of the past and we need to find a better way than this. Now, when their May 7th celebration takes place in a couple of weeks, will Udo Voigt and many of the others be celebrating that with them? I don't think so. Well, I sure won't be. And how about you? Thanks for listening. This has been the Heretics Hour with Carolyn Yeager on March 23rd, 2015. See you again next week. Good night.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.